Misfit Toys. Welcome to episode 666. We are going to be reading the darkest surveys ever. Most of these are surveys that I have myself read previously, but held back from reading on the podcast because they were too dark. And I got a an email from a listener uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, you realize episode 666 is coming up. You should, I can't remember if, if she suggested that I read really dark surveys. She might have, or I think she was just pointing out, she thought it was going to land on Friday the 13th. And I think she was just pointing out how weird and creepy that was. Turns out doesn't fall on Friday the 13th, but it gave me the idea to um, read the surveys that I hold back on reading um, because they're so heavy. I mean, every once in a while I'll read one that's just like, oh my God. But I went back through, uh, a lot of these are from the Shame and Secrets survey, and that's probably the most filled out survey. Uh, I think over 10,000 people have filled it out. So I went back to the very beginning. The survey was launched in 2012, and I read through the first 2,000. And so these Shame and Secret Survey are just, this is the darkness, just from the first two of 10,000, the first 2,000 of, of, of 10,000. We've got some other surveys in there too, but um, they're roughly get darker uh, the the surveys that are towards the back, but it's really, it's really hard to organize them. It's like, mm, what's darker? You saw your friend kill themselves or your grandfather molested you? Um, I am going to be shocked if anybody is able to withstand these surveys all the way through. Um, I guess let's just, let's dive in. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself creepy and sleepy. And she writes, my mom told me as a kid that if you do a sinful sexual act, demons watch and jerk off. Are we kicking it off in style? This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Bev. And a snapshot from her life, she writes, reading a book on suicide prevention to get ideas on the best way to kill myself successfully. And then on a positive note, she writes, luckily this pushed me to get back on meds and finally accept that I'm better off alive and taking medication than being dead. Best decision I ever made. That is about the only lightness you are going to hear in this chocolate bar of of darkness. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself SG12. And she writes, years ago, I told my guy friend his girlfriend was cheating on him, saying that I saw her making out with another guy. They broke up for a while, got back together, and then divorced because he said he couldn't trust her. 
since he still believes she cheated years ago, and I've never told anyone I lied. What makes the story sad is that I said it because I was bored. They get much darker. An awful moment filled out by Danielle. She writes, oh, I remember this was this was the first uh, awful moment. This I think this was about let's see how many how many into this was the ninth awful moment ever filled out in the survey. So this was back in 2014, and uh, this is the first one where I went, oh my god, <laughs> what what have I unleashed? And uh, Danielle writes, one of the men who sexually abused me when I was a child had hooks for hands. At the time, he had plastic arms from the elbows down and metal hooks for hands from the wrist down. The hooks opened so he could grab a hold of things. Unfortunately, one of the things he grabbed a hold of was my elementary school-aged ass while he French-kissed me. I Google him every year or two to see if he is finally dead. No such luck. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Blurg. And she writes, I once poisoned a 20-gallon aquarium full of my own pet fish with bleach. That's probably light and fluffy. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Untoes. And uh, she writes, I want to be a below-the-knee amputee. To see if that kind of thing was what I really wanted, I amputated two of my toes to sort of, quote, test the waters, unquote. I also use a wheelchair out in public because it just feels right to me. Same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Sick of Porn. And he writes, I have seen people unconscious in shooting galleries, heroin shooting galleries, and found out later that they died. This has happened more than once. I could have saved them. A guy who just calls himself F fills out a, an awful moment. He writes, I work as a medical, I guess just medical is the, the word, I work as a medical here, uh, been here a couple of months. I work the graveyard shift, driving all over the state, often delivering end-of-life medications to hospice patients and nursing homes all over the state. I got paid 69 cents a mile while I was carrying medication. The patient had, and I guess there should be a comma there, the patient had died before I arrived. I would have to carry the medication back, and that meant I got paid double if you died before I showed up. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, all you need is 15 minutes and you'll be enjoying a tasty, satisfying meal made in your own kitchen. Just look for their quick and easy dinner options, plus quick breakfast and lunches too. You got places to go. You don't need to be standing in line. They got pre-portioned ingredients, easy step-by-step -step recipes delivered to your door, and you'll save so much time and cut out the hassle. And I can testify that their food is delicious. They're simple to prepare. I'm a big fan. I tried their sheet pan, Dijon onion crunch chicken. And in addition to it being maybe the longest name in the history of food, it is really, really good. So 
Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Mental and use the code 50Mental also for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Mental and use the code 50Mental for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Six, and she writes, I was a terribly angry teenager, even though most parents and teachers thought I was a good girl. I used to break into neighbors' houses, not to steal, but to see how other people lived. I would use things friends had told me in confidence to get them and anyone around them in trouble if they pissed me off. Uh, For instance, at 15, one of my friends was dating a guy in his 20s. I called the police anonymously, so the boy got arrested for statutory rape. And I told her parents about it, pretending to be concerned for her safety, all because she'd lost a computer game that I'd lent her. Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Drunky Crow. He writes, The grossest and creepiest thing I ever did was, as a 13-year-old, I took a turd that my sister made in the toilet and took a bite out of it. How we doing? We still, you still with me? I should really have a prize at the end for for anybody that can withstand this pile, pile of pure cocoa bean, or is it cacao? Mama Bear in a shame and secret survey writes, I fell pregnant on purpose without telling my partner I pretended it was an accident. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Dark Fruits. She writes, eight years old, my mom was leaving my dad and had spent a few days with a new guy. She came home to pick me up. We didn't pack anything, no toys, no baby, baby memorabilia, none of my books, just a few clothes and we were gone. I awoke that night to my mom screaming and this new guy beating her ass. I thought we would go back home, but it did not happen. Just more beatings for her. I became invisible. This is from the psych ward experiences filled out by a guy who calls himself a good question. He writes, I was surprised when my therapist showed up at our house and took me to Chicago Lakeshore Hospital uh, to be admitted. I had no idea what was going on. I was taken by three large guys at the front desk and said goodbye to my parents. They strip searched me and put me on a hospital bed in full restraints. For those of you who have never experienced this, it is having all of your limbs strapped and padlocked to each of the bedposts. You can't move. I spent the night in horror of what was about to happen to me. I was 14. In the morning, about 6 a.m., I started hearing blood-curdling screams coming from a room down the hall. It was some guy coming out of shock therapy. Two guys came in and unlocked me, told me to come down to the hall for breakfast. From then on, for two weeks, it was nonstop insanity all around me. I saw the doctor maybe three times the whole stay. The nurses and orderlies would play cards with me, wondering why I was there. Six days later, they let me out. It was the craziest experience I have ever had, next to being held at gunpoint 
at 11. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Cliff. And he writes, when I was 12, I was very close to my cousin who had MD. I was angry at him one day for some reason. He could barely walk at this point. MD is muscular dystrophy. Uh, He could barely walk at this point as his muscles had been severely weakened by the disease. I was walking right behind him and intentionally stepped on his ankle. He fell down a step and hurt himself and he was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. How we doing? Hmm? Would you like some cake? Some cookies? Can I get you a, a warm cup of milk? This is filled out by Jay Bird. And she writes, I once lied to someone about my having been raped, which I never was. I did it to get sympathy. Zinn writes, I watched my mom try to hang herself when I was four. My dad told me that I had to be good and make her happy. I spent a great deal of my life believing that I had to keep her alive. And I wonder what, sometimes why I get depressed. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Dude Magic, and she writes, I intentionally got pregnant once to try to get my boyfriend to commit to me. I ended up getting an abortion because that is what he wanted. I have so many regrets about messing around with someone as serious as, with something as serious as human life. I just wasn't thinking. By the way, I'm not going to really be commenting on that. There's a couple that I am going to comment on, but for the most part, I feel like this this episode would be nine hours long if I kind of stopped to to comment on these. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by Memento Mori. She writes, a few years ago, my mother's fiancé died by suicide. He drove to the highest overpass he could find and jumped. The last thing he told my mother was that he was going out to get donuts. So now every year on the anniversary of his death, I go get donuts. It's a little fucked up, but it feels right. I don't have the heart to tell my mother I do this. That one was kind of light and bubbly. That was like a little champagne. It's like someone brought champagne into the cave. Tony writes, I killed a cat with my bare hands. I caused nasty mayhem and destruction that made a newspaper, uh, made the newspaper all as a teen. I wound up in a straitjacket in jail from an acid overdose. Bald Eagle writes, I have a memory of being very young and on a neighbor's boat with his wife and son. I could see his testicle coming out of his swim trunks, and when he saw me looking, he asked me to touch it. I did, very quickly and with a single finger. I just remember thinking it felt soft. I also remember his wife smiling at us as she watched. How we doing? Can I get you some, some chicken noodle soup? This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Story. And uh, 
She writes, and, and this is from the Shame and Secret survey under the question, have you ever experienced, uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? And she writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. And of course, like 90% of them, 95% of them, this absolutely counts. Uh, she writes, when I was 18, I developed a strange rash-looking skin condition on the inside of both of my knees that didn't seem to get better for weeks. That afternoon, my stepdad mentioned my mom had this skin cream and offered to rub it in uh, on it for me. Naive? Question mark. Yes. The thought that the situation was inappropriate never crossed my mind. Putting cream on my knees should only take a second, right? It didn't, of course. It turned into hours. He started asking me about sex in a concerned fatherly fashion. But it quickly turned into an appropriate Q&A session with questions like, Does your boyfriend please you? What does your boyfriend do when he wants to have sex with you? Do you suck his penis? And what do you do with his semen? Etc. While he asked me all sorts of questions, simultaneously sharing his own sex tales with my mother as well as other women. During this conversation, he noticed I also had the same skin issues on the very top of my inner thighs near my crotch. I was 18 and had tiny shorts on like every other college freshman. He commenced rubbing the cream on my inner thighs. He never fully touched me or did anything, but he did manage to rub close enough to have commentary on my well-kept bikini area, and well-kept is in quotes. Later, he insisted that my back needed lotion and decided that my bra strap was getting in the way and undid my bra so he could run the lo rub the lotion in better. He never quite touched my chest either. The saving grace that got me out of there was that he needed to drop me off at the university. That was 10 years ago and nothing has happened like that again. That buried the creep meter. This is from a woman uh, named Christy from the Shame and Secret Survey. And uh, she writes, I am a widow with a four-year-old autistic son. My husband was killed in our driveway by the husband of the woman he was having an affair with. I wish every day that I was the one taken away from this earth. The emotional phys and physical pain is overwhelming, and I often feel as though I am simply not cut out for this. I almost resent my husband for leaving me with this burden. This is uh, filled out by Candy Kane, and this is from the Shame and Secret survey. She uh, writes... I have wanted to shoot up my co-workers at various jobs for a belief that they tapped my phone and were talking about me because of this and other OCD thoughts, panic disorders, bipolar, etc. I get a crazy check in the mail from the government because I have to quit my jobs because I want to harm people and I think my co-workers are the devil or evil spirits. Ding Dong fills out a Shame and Secret Survey. I think that's the law. If your nickname is Ding Dong, that you got to go right to the to the Shame and Secret Survey and unload. Uh, and this is from Darkest Thoughts. He writes, I really want to kill with no repercussions. Anyone that gets in my way at any time. I have a pocket knife on me most of the time. And once, while standing behind my boss at work, 
I realized how easy it would be to just slide it into her brainstem and kill her in a few seconds. That was a very scary fantasy, but I've had more like it since then. I often realize how easy it would be to kill a lot of people, and when I see that someone opens fire in a public place and only kills a couple of people, I think they are failures. I feel like I could probably kill at least 30 people in Walmart before anyone stopped me. Do you need a neck massage? Keep going. You can you can do it. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Grim Jokes and he writes, I killed a child molester when I was 13 and I got away with it. Some of these actually we have read on the podcast, but very few of them. I remember reading that one a while back. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Tiny Salbud. And uh, this is her answering the question, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? And she writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Christmas, after I turned 19, my father had sex with me on the pull-out couch. I enjoyed it when it happened and even consented, then regretted it. Then I stopped regretting it, sought more, regretted more, stuck in a loop. I want to stop, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. I still love him and love our relationship. I don't want the sex to happen, though. It feels it feels like cruel on my part because I, when I when I read something that's really heavy, I I um, want to talk to the person in case they're listening. And for this episode, I've decided to just plow to plow through this to keep this this dark chocolate bar pure. Darkest Secrets, and this is filled out by a double trucker, a guy who calls himself Double Trucker. He writes, when my son was two to three months old, he wouldn't stop crying, and I had a moment of rage where I started shaking my baby until he broke a blood vessel in one eye. I sat and cried for a good 20 minutes, afraid I had just permanently damaged my son and would go to jail for the rest of my life. Nobody else, including my wife, knows this. My sin, My son never suffered any damage. And his eye was fine within a week or two. Gus fills out a uh, shame and secret survey. And he writes, I called a party line after listening to a woman who was grieving about the loss of her daughter. I proceeded to taunt her saying I was going to dig up her corpse and rape it. How you doing, Gus? Handsome Unicorn uh, writes, When I was a child, I watched my best friend accidentally kill herself, and I felt too ashamed to get help. I assumed it was a joke. My guess is about half of the people are still here. PHM fills out a shame and secret survey, and she writes, I've never ever told anyone this, but it eats me alive daily. 
I would have been around seven or eight years old. It was late fall, and we had a baby swimming pool. There was a stray kitten I was playing with, and I threw it in the pool. I got out, went inside. The next day, I came out and found the kitten dead under the porch. I've never forgiven myself. I really debated about reading the animal cruelty ones, but it's like, if we're going to go dark, I just decided I'm, I'm not, I'm, nothing is off the table. Everyone is welcome in Satan's cave. This is an awful moment filled out by Katla. And uh, Katla writes, It was a cold, cloudy day in January. I was feeling slightly more depressed than usual and wanted to die. I had previously tried slitting my wrists and ODing on painkillers without success. I had a length of rope but nothing to hang it from in my apartment. I tied a noose in the rope, put the rope around my waist like a belt, got dressed up for the minus 30 Celsius temperatures outside, and took an evening walk to my favorite tree. While I was walking, it started to snow. By the time I got to my tree, it was pretty much a full-blown blizzard. And I remember thinking that it would be quite a while before anyone found me, so it was unlikely that I would survive. However, when I got to the tree, which I usually had no trouble climbing... The tree was frozen and slippery, and the wind was very strong, and I couldn't get more than a foot off the ground, never mind high enough to drop into a noose. At this point, I remember thinking that even Mother Nature was against me, and I gave up on giving up and walked home feeling numb but not dead. Mayo Lover shares in a shame and secret survey. Um, one evening at dinner, my sister, probably around four or five at the time, started talking about how the older neighborhood boy made her watch straight anal porn. She then asked my dad if she could give him a blowjob. How you doing? This is uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Melon Rancher. He writes, my father is a pedophile. It's obvious he has a thing for young girls, and I don't just mean teenage girls. I don't know if the rest of my family is oblivious to it or if, like me, they just pretend it doesn't exist. When I was in 10th grade, I, a male, hosted a female German exchange student. When she showered late at night, I chanced to see my dad outside in the backyard watching from the woods and masturbating. My dad has provided for the whole family, provided for the family his whole life. He has given me love and encouragement, but I fucking hate him in a profound way for betraying my trust in such a cruel way. I know he is a tortured man, and being a tortured man myself, I don't think we'll ever connect. And the darkest part, I'm 25 now, and I know I'm becoming exactly like him. Can I get you some mints? This is filled out by uh, Keebler. And he writes, I had a girlfriend a while back who, if she passed out drunk, I would fuck her in the ass. I don't imagine that Nabisco is a big fan. Was it Nabisco? Who was the the company that made the cookies with the Keebler elf? 
This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Tussle Ad. He writes, my father killed himself when I was 17. I heard the gunshot and found his body on the side of the house. He had spent the days previous to his suicide having conversations with me that, even at the time, felt like him admitting his plans and attempting to prepare me for life without him. I not only knew he was planning to die, but I allowed him to do so. He was an abusive alcoholic and was addicted to painkillers due to injuries from a previous attempt. He was often mean and violent and was very well armed. My childhood is rife with violent threats and brandishings towards my mother, brother, and I. I let him kill himself, and part of me is convinced it was my revenge. I don't think you could have stopped him. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself suffering in heaven. Darkest thoughts, poisoning my stepfather, which is actually funny because he has an eating disorder. Darkest secrets, my first memory in life is being molested by my dad. I remember not being scared because he was smiling and speaking to me in baby talk. I must have been three or four. You still there? Is anyone on the line? Still envy my job? This is an awful moment filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself your average 12-year-old buck tea. She writes, when I was 12, I used to let this guy rape me so he would keep giving me drugs. After every fucking time he raped me, he would cry. And every fucking time he cried. I apologized. This is filled out by DeJimmy. And he writes, I did cunnilingus to a seven-year-old girl when I was 18 years old. I initiated the contact. One could say that I took advantage of a child. You think? Do you think, DeJimmy? almost there. I think we've got like five left. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Elegy. And this is an answer to the question of, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? And she says, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. And writes, on my 13th birthday, I was groped by my grandfather, my favorite human being on the planet. He was visiting from out of state, and I had just gotten home from school. He hugged me and asked me to sit on the couch with him. I did, and he started to massage what little breasts I had by rubbing his fingers underneath the curve of my breasts. Then I was laying down on the couch with him on top of me, and he was giving me a kiss, and I remember forcing my lips shut because I could feel his tongue trying to break the barrier and enter my mouth. This never happened again, and no inappropriate actions were displayed after the fact, so I'm still sitting here at age 30, unsure of how to classify such an action. It is called sexual assault. Uh, I'm 
one. This one is filled out by Sun and Air. It's a shame and secret survey. And he writes simply, I was sexually abused by my mother. I came in her mouth. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Fat Pumpkin. And she writes, when I was 13, I met a man online with the intention of having sex with him or giving him a blowjob. He sent me a picture of himself, which had me believe he was maybe in his 20s when he picked me up at my house. In the middle of the night, he was clearly in his 40s or older and looked much different, if not a completely different person. We drove until he found a dark street and he had me do all sorts of things, such as stuffing trash inside of me or making me eat my own vomit after he forced himself down my throat to the point of my vomiting on him. For years, I blamed myself because I willingly spoke to him and got in the car. I never considered it rape because I didn't really say no. Now I am 34 and the image of it keeps creeping back into my head and I am unable to cope with the fact that I blamed myself for it for all these years. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Now Voyager and she writes, My son had cancer. You didn't really think we could we could get through this without children having cancer, did you? My son had cancer and died when he was really young. It doesn't get much worse than watching your child die. I watched him poisoned by chemo and pretty much lived at the hospital for months while he had a bone marrow transplant that wound up killing him. The last few weeks of his life were horrible. He was intubated and I had no idea if he was going to make it. But since he was cancer-free, they kept holding out hope until finally they had to tell me that he developed a terminal complication and would not survive and gave me the choice to let him wait it out and die or to take him off the ventilator and he would die very quickly. He had already been suffering for a while. Bed sores, interventions in which they tried to get him off the ventilator and failed while I got my hopes up. It was torture. But when I let go and decided I would just let him die, they let me lay with him while he was dying, which is somewhat of a blur years later, but also was by far the most spiritual experience I've ever had. They let me keep him and hold him for a while after he died, and as sad as it might seem, after all of the hell and chaos, it was so quiet and peaceful to sit there and hold him as death had just taken over. I don't think I will ever have another experience so surreal and bizarre, but moving at the same time, despite its infinite sadness in having to let go. Leaving the hospital that night empty-handed was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but I was so in shock, nothing felt real. The moments right before death and the quiet time after death had a strange magic to them that perhaps only someone who has been in a room and held someone as they were dying or after they died can understand. I hadn't thought about it for a while, but now I'm crying as I write this. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Coffee Chris. And she writes, After 17 years of knowing my son with Hunter syndrome would not live past 12, finding him one Sunday morning, and not being able to wake him up. While in shock and denial, the sound I made when I had to say goodbye was animalistic. From the deepest part of my soul, rattling my ribs, 
telling him I tried. I tried. Mommy tried. I know you're thinking to yourself, there are darker surveys than this? This is filled out by Mac the Wife, who is a male, and he writes, I sexually abused a nine-year-old girl when I was 14 and babysitting for a family friend. She must be 36 now. I still feel terrible about it. That's not the one I am reading this for. It's this one. I actually killed my own newborn baby in a bathtub because my girlfriend, who had tried to give herself an abortion by drinking vodka for nine months and starving herself, it didn't work, looked at me after the baby was born and said, you have to kill it. I never saw whether it was a boy or a girl. I did give it one chance to cry because I wanted it to feel alive for one second. It had come that far. Then I drowned it in the tub wrapped it up in a towel, and bicycled to the nearest, nearest trash dumpster and threw it in, wondering if I would soon be in prison. That's the end of the heavy ones. This is the one we're going to end on, and yeah, it's a little heavy, but I think you'll understand why I decided to end on this one because there was a part of me that was like, yeah, let's end on that one. I can't, I can't, I can't do that to you. This is filled out by Jace, guy who calls himself Jace, and this is an awful moment. He writes, last November, my friend, my best friend Carl committed suicide. Yeah, that's how the upbeat survey is starting off. He was a part of, of a group of five of us that would hang out each week, every Monday, like clockwork. I'd known Carl for almost 20 years, and I never knew him to be particularly depressed or suffering with any kind of serious mental illness. He was always pulling gags and telling the same funny stories over and over. His suicide came as a shock to us, but particularly to me and my other friend in the group, Henrik. We'd ex- we had expected to see him on Monday as usual, but he was a no-show. We heard the news through the grapevine through a mutual acquaintance by the name of Ward. By the time we found out and were able to verify it, he was already buried. His family didn't know us particularly well, so they didn't know who to call. We understandably got left out of the loop. The day after we heard, Henrik and I drove out to see Carl's mom and dad and give them our condolences. We all cried together and told his folks how much we loved him, and they were grateful if grief-stricken at having to outlive their oldest son. When we couldn't give up any, when we couldn't give up any more emotional support, we said our goodbyes and began to drive home. In the car, I guess after we'd crossed that initial barrier of shock and grief, Henrik wondered out loud something. He couldn't understand how Ward knew about it before we did, since we were Carl's best friends, and frankly, Carl hated Ward. To illustrate the example, Carl once got Ward a job on the sales floor of the big electronics store he had worked for. Not for any measure of pity, but because he had every confidence that Ward would fail miserably and Carl wanted to watch Ward fuck it up in real time. Carl wasn't a hateful guy, but he knew how to dole out poetic justice. What Henrik couldn't figure out is what Ward had told him. Ward said he was shocked 
because Carl had promised to meet up with Ward the day after he killed himself. Why did Carl suddenly want to hang out with Ward? Why was Ward in the loop before we were? Then it struck us. Carl's suicide note on his computer was dated six months before he finally went through with it. He has instructions in his room on how to position the gun. He had his funeral suit laid out next to him. He knew exactly what he was doing step by step. That shifty son of a bitch knew he wasn't going to be able to meet up with Ward. He had pulled the ultimate prank. He'd promised his emotional nemesis in Olive Branch, then blew his brains out to spite the guy. He said, in fact, he said in act, I'd rather shoot myself in the head than hang out with you. Henrik and I laughed, cried all the way home. A year later, Carl's death is still something I'm struggling with, but I can always think of him pulling the ultimate prank. It's one last bit of joy he left for us to enjoy. And that is it. That is episode 666. Nothing positive. (laughs) 